All right, so uh, having little kids at the house, one of the questions that gets out, asked in our home often is, like, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? So uh, right now, I think we have a football player, an artist, and a fighter fighter, which means a firefighter, but he's three years old, so he just says fighter fighter, right? And so we have a, a football player, artist, and a fighter fighter right now. And, uh, but isn't it crazy how that kind of changes as, as you go through time? Like, man, what do you, what do you want to do with your life? And as a kid, you want to just do kind of the cool, fun thing, uh, or the thing that makes you a lot of money, right? And then you become a teenager and you want to be, do the thing that makes you a lot of money and you want to be popular, you want to be known. Then you become a young adult and you're like, man, I just, I want to be successful. I want to be successful. That may lead to a lot of money or popularity, but I want to be successful in this job that I'm gaining. And then as you get older into adulthood, you're like, you know what, I want to be successful. And I, you start to begin to think about other people. Like, I want to leave a legacy behind me. I want other people to have experienced a lot of the same things. And then you get near the end of your life and you're not thinking about like what you could be one day, but you start looking back over your life. And as you start looking back over your life, you're kind of met with two different things. One, you may be met with lots of satisfaction and happiness. You're like, man, I made my life count in this world. My life mattered. But then on the other hand, a lot of people are on their deathbed and they are getting ready to die with lots of sadness and regret because they're going, I don't think my life mattered for much at all. And if I asked every single one of you in this room this morning individually, do you want to make your life matter? Like every single one of you at least should say, yes, of course. I want my life to count for something here on this earth. I want my life to matter. The bigger question is, how do you make your life matter in this world? How are you going to make your life count for something in this world? And I think the answer to that is going to be really crystal clear as we finish up Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, we're going to be finishing up that chapter in verses 32 through 34 or through 40. Um, so I encourage you to go ahead and find that. Um, if you are kind of new to Veritas, we've been marching through the book of Hebrews. So let me give you a little summary if you are new. So in Hebrews, you've got an author who is writing, or some people would say it's a, a pastor preaching a sermon to a br bunch of Jewish Christians. So they had grown up in the Hebrew culture, but now uh, they've professed faith in Christ, so they're Christians. But for some reason, they are tempted to go back to what they've known in Judaism. So they're tempted, and we're not, we're not exactly sure the reason why they're tempted to go back, but over and over in Hebrews, the author is going, Jesus is better than the life that you could go back to. Jesus is better than the life that you came from. And he says it over and over in a lot of different ways. So um, maybe they're going back to it because that just, that's what they know, that's what they feel comfortable with. Other scholars would say they're about to face some significant persecution, and so they're going, if I can avoid persecution, that sounds awesome. And I'll avoid persecution if I don't profess Christ and I go back to my ways of Judaism. So in Hebrews chapter 10, at the very end of uh, chapter 10, what, he said, what the author is saying to them, I don't want you to shrink back. I don't want you to go back to what you've known. I want you to endure. And then we get into chapter 11 that we've been walking through the past two weeks. And in this chapter you see the way that you're going to endure, the way these people are going to not shrink back is by being people of faith. And so what the author does is he begins to list all these examples from their history that they would know very well of people that live by faith. By faith, 
Abel did this, by faith Enoch did this, and Abraham and Sarah, and on and on and on. Moses and Noah and Rahab, the Israelites, they all live by faith. So what we're going to get this morning, you've kind of got each week, just kind of like if you pretend it's the fireworks show, right? You've got like kind of shot after shot going off. Just a psh, psh. But then here at the end, in these last few verses, you kind of get the grand finale, where he's just going to fire off a bunch of examples like... Boom, boom, psh, boom, boom. That sounds like a beatbox, right? I didn't mean to do that. Right? You didn't know I could do that, guys. Um, so anyway... Um, You've got all these different examples of what it means to live by faith and what the outcome of living by faith is. All right, so let's start with verse 32 of chapter 11. And what more shall I say? So he's just saying, like, do I need to tell you more? I've given you so many examples. Like, do you not get it yet? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, and the prophets. So time would tell me. So if, if this is a sermon that he's giving, he's going, I don't have time to go into the details. The clock's running down. I can't keep doing this. Some of you are like, yes, please do what he did, right? And so I'm not going to go give you all the details, but he's giving you examples, more examples of what a faith-filled life looks like. So he says, I could tell you of Gideon. In Judges 6 through 8, we find that Gideon was this guy who wanted to take a big army to defeat the Midianites. But God keeps dwindling the army down further and further where he only has 300 men. And with 300 men, by faith, God allows him to see victory over the Midianites. You can find that in Judges 6 through 8. And that all this list is kind of from, um, for you scholars, is from the time of the judges through the early monarchy of Israel, all right? So that's Gideon. Then he talks about Barak, who is in Judges 4 through 5, who defeated the Canaanite, arm, a Canaanite army. Then Samson in verses, or Judges 13 through 16, he freed the Israelites from Philistine oppression. Jephthah in Judges 11 and 12, he conquers the Ammonites. David, whether you grew up in church or not, you probably know the story of David and Goliath, right? David defeats the giant Goliath, who defeats and ultimately defeats the Philistines. Philistines, and David does so many more things. That's kind of the one thing we hang on to often, but David is a man after God's own heart who lived by faith and did so many wonderful things for the Lord. Then you have Samuel, who from a young childhood lived by faith and followed the Lord over and over and over. He's kind of the first of the prophets, the last of the judges, and just loved, loved the Lord and following him. And then if that's not enough, the author goes, and then there's all the prophets. There's Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. There's all these different people. So again, firing off more and more examples. I don't have time to go into all the details, but let me tell you, all your forefathers, Hebrews, they all live by faith. If you're going to endure in this life, if you're not going to shrink back and turn back to what you used to know and what used to be good for you, like if you're going to keep moving forward and not shrink back to that, remember that all your forefathers lived by faith. It wasn't something else. It was faith that helped them move forward. God highlights the faith of these people, actual, normal, historical people, not crazy people. They did crazy things because of their faith, but they're just normal people living by faith. They were actually normal, sinful people living by faith. What you don't find, if you, if you go back and looked at more of their lives, here's some of the faults 
of some of these people. One guy was scared to go to battle alone. One person was sexually promiscuous. One of those guys in that list vowed to sacrifice his own daughter. One was plagued by infidelity. One had somebody murdered. One who's a great guy, Samuel, even had wayward kids that didn't follow Jesus, didn't follow the Lord. So here you've got God honoring these people because of their faith, even though they weren't perfect. They weren't defined by all their sin, and their sin had great consequences. But when he's trying to encourage the Hebrews, hey, don't shrink back. Remember all these people. They didn't have it all together, but they lived by faith. Now, what did they accomplish? Let's look at verses 33 through the beginning of 35. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies in flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Like, I don't know about you, but if you go, I want to live that kind of life of faith, right? If you could live that kind of life, wouldn't you want to live that? Like, I'm going to conquer armies. I'm going to enforce justice. I'm going to shut the mouths of lions. Like, all these amazing things are happening. And how are they happening? They're happening through faith. Faith produces effects in life. When you have faith, your life isn't stagnant. You can't just say, well, yes, I believe in God, and then do whatever you want to do. It's more than just knowledge. When you have faith, it has a profound impact on the way that you live your life. And for these people, there were some great things that were happening. Again, I'm going to read this. Conquered kingdoms because of their faith. This is what God did through them because of their faith. Enforced justice. Obtained promises. Stopped the mouths of lions. You've heard of Daniel and the lion's den. This is who they're remembering. Quenched the power of fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Escaped the edge of the sword. Were made strong out of weakness. Here are weak people that God made strong because of their faith. They became mighty in war and put foreign armies to flight. Men and women who weren't anything special, but God blessed in tremendous ways because of their faith. Guys, God can use you to accomplish great, great things because of your faith. And because of your faith, there may be great victory, triumph. There may be great success and even worldly blessing in this world. Maybe God chooses to use your faith to see someone healed of sickness. Or maybe because of your faith, God uses it to allow your business to be successful. To have godly kids. To get out of debt. We would all say, man, I want that kind of faith that allows me to do those kind of things. Here's where we got to be careful, though, guys. Ian mentioned it two weeks ago when we started in Hebrews 11. We talked about not using faith as your golden ticket to get whatever you want, right? You see, a life of faith acts in a certain way despite the outcomes. A life of faith acts in a certain way despite the outcomes. A lack of faith acts in a certain way to control the outcomes, though. A lack of faith acts in a certain way to control what's going to happen. So, for instance, so maybe you're a young single person, and you're going, man, I really want to be in a relationship. And so you go, you know what? I think what's best for me, I'm going to trust the Lord, and I'm going to trust the Lord for that. 
But in order to do that, I want to like control the outcome of me getting somebody. So I'm going to, that's why I'm going to go read my Bible. That's why I'm going to go to church. That's why I'm going to pray. And you begin to manipulate your faith to get what you want. Right? Yet Jesus is saying like, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. Just seek him. Don't worry about what's to come. Don't worry about the outcome. Put your faith in him. He's going to add it. I don't know what it gets added, but seek him. That's the prize. The prize isn't the future spouse. The prize isn't the future relationship. Just seek Jesus, right? But when we see like this kind of faith here in Hebrews 11, look what all these people are accomplishing. We all go, yes, I want that kind of faith. And then we read verses, the end of verse 35 through 38, and things may change in your mind. So because of their faith, verse 35, So it says, women received back their dead by resurrection, which is amazing. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Now, how many of you are just raising your hand to go, that's the kind of life of faith I want. I want to be sown into, right? Some of you like boys and young boys in the room, you're like, yes, my parents don't let me read these kind of books at home. And now the pastor's talking about it. This is great, right? Because of their faith, through faith, they conquered great kingdoms and enforced justice and did all these wonderful things. And through their faith, they were tortured and mistreated, wandering about, in the skins of sheep and goats. Guys, a life of faith may lead to great success, but it also may lead to great suffering. And these people are still commended for it. I want you to beware of churches that just kind of preach the beginning of this passage. That... You, if you just believe and you just increase your faith, life will be better for you. You're going to see a victory one day on this side of heaven. You're going to see it. Just keep believing and believe harder. You have more faith. It's going to get better. You're going to get healthier. You're going to get wealthier. You're going to get more wise. You just grow in your faith. But what the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, don't shrink back. Your faith may lead to all those things. But your faith also may lead to flogging and mocking. Not having popular clothes. And your faith may lead you to death. See, there's, there are people that may preach like, Yes, have the faith of David. You can conquer all the giants in your life. What is the giant in your life? You can conquer that through faith. But you may not hear somebody say, hey, if you have the faith of David, you may be on the run and have to hide in caves from people trying to kill you. And at one point, even your own son's going to be trying to kill you and you're going to be fleeing from him. That's what faith may lead to you. We don't preach that very often, do we? Have that faith where you're fleeing for your life from your own family. That's what we see people being commended for in that kind of life of faith. 
a glorious outcome may not be experienced on this side of heaven. In fact, the sickness may stay. The disease may kill a family member. Your family may be uprooted from what's comfortable to go to a different place to tell others about Jesus. Your retirement account may actually shrink because you begin to give more money away than just save it for yourself. Because that's a life of faith. Now, I'm not going to deny either side of it. I'm not going to say, like, living a life of faith is just going to end up, like, you being miserable for your whole life. Because obviously, right, the beginning of this is saying they did some wonderful things because of their faith. But a life of faith isn't chasing an outcome, guys. It's chasing God's word and his promises and what he has for you. Because look back at verse 35. Who through faith, con- or let's, yeah, uh, let's, they were tortured. Sorry, yeah, verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. So because of their faith, some of these people were tortured. And the people that were torturing them would say, hey, we will let you go. We'll let you go. Just deny the Lord. And they go, no, we would never do that. We refuse our own release. They're going to let you go, though. Just say, just say you don't believe in God for the moment, and they'll let you go. Like, no, we're not going to do that. Why? So that they might rise again to a better life. Some of your translations say, so they could experience a better resurrection. It's not just a bodily resurrection if they take your life. It's an eternal resurrection. With God forever, something far better. That's why you suffer well for the sake of Christ, because there's something far better on the other side of this earth for you. Something was better. Now... I'm going to read this list again because I want you to see what faith led them to. Some were tortured. Others were mocked, flogged, chains, imprisonment, stoned, sawn in two, killed with the sword, went about in sheep, skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Now this is familiar to the Hebrew audience. They know that the prophet Jeremiah was stoned and he was mistreated. They know that most likely Isaiah was sawn in two. Isaiah that we preached from Isaiah 9-6 over Advent. Here's a guy who prophesied about Jesus hundreds of years before he was going to show up and he lost his life because he was sawn in two because of his faith. Now, look at the Verse 38, there's a phrase here that's amazing. So after all saying all this stuff, it says, of whom the world was not worthy. If you have a different translation, it may say the world wasn't worthy of these people. The world didn't deserve these people. These people were too good for the world. Why were these people too good for the world? Why was the world not worthy of this type of people? Because when you suffer as a believer... You are a gift to the world. When you suffer well as a believer, you are a gift to the world. Because when you suffer well, it puts Christ's afflictions on display. When you suffer well, it puts the gospel on display. It puts the fact that Jesus 
lived a perfect life, but he died a horrific, horrific death. And when you suffer well, it goes, I have a God that suffered far greater. And he suffered because of my sin. That's how deep the Father's love is for me. When you suffer well because of your faith, it puts Christ on display and it is a grace gift to the world. Because you're a gift to the world when you suffer for Christ. Yet we think that our lives are going to matter and that we're going to be a gift to the world because of a certain status that we could attain. We think that we're a gift to the world because of our job, our position, the influence we have, what we look like, how much money we have. We might even think, like, I'm a gift to the world because of my philanthropy or my activism or my virtuous living makes me a gift to the world. Or because I'm significant in some way, like that's, I'm a gift to the world. Yet what the author is saying is the world wasn't worthy of these people who suffered for the sake of their faith. Because you are a gift to the world. Your life will matter when you suffer well for Jesus. Live by faith. There's no gift that you're going to have outside of faith that's going to make your life count for anything on this side of heaven. Jesus said it this way, Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 46. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. So if you want to like just be about self-preservation and self-satisfaction, like you're going to end up losing your life. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? What good is it if you gain everything this world has to offer? You gain all the money, all the popularity, all the influence, yet you forfeit your soul. You might think you're going to make your life count in this world, but your soul is what's going to last for eternity, and it's going to be a miserable eternity, separated from a holy, righteous God, because we just try to preserve our lives. You see, a life of faith may lead to great success, and that's awesome. I'm not here to hate on that. A life of faith may also lead to great suffering. Both of those are great because we get, both get to glorify the Lord either way. But you see, when you read through this list, it's not a call for us to just die like these people, right? Thank the Lord that we don't have to die that way potentially. The call for this passage for the Hebrews is to live like these people, to live a life of faith like these people. Let's read verses 39 and 40. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Now, some of you are going, I don't have a clue what that means. That's a bunch of weird stuff, right? So, first off, they were commended through their faith. We've talked about this already. They were approved because of their faith. We actually see this kind of like the faith, this is the, the end of a faith sandwich of chapter 11 here. If you go back to Hebrews 11, 1 and 2, this is how the whole verse, uh, how it starts. It's not going to be on the screen, but it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
For by it, the people of old received their commendation. So the authors already said, this is how they received their commendation. Now in verse 39, and all these, though commended through their faith, they received their approval from the Lord because of their faith. You can stand before God and because of your faith in what Jesus has done, your faith in the gospel, you can stand before God and be fully approved, fully significant. Not because you did something crazy with your life, but because you trusted in a good God who loved you so much that he would send his son to die for you. That's good news. It's really good news. They were commended through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised. Why did all these forefathers not receive what was promised? What was promised was the Messiah. So as they were living, they never got to experience Jesus. They knew about the prophecies about Jesus, but they never got to experience Jesus. They didn't receive that promise of Jesus like the Hebrews had, right? They had been around. Jesus had come and lived and died and resurrected. They knew about this. So these people had been commended through their faith, but they didn't receive what was promised, which what was promised was Jesus, since God had provided something better for us. Again, the Hebrews, like God had provided something better for them. And that was Jesus. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So what you have here is the author saying, these people in the past, they lived by faith. They didn't even even experience the promise, but they still live by faith. Now you have it. They just had a glimmer of it, a glimpse of it. Now you've seen it. How much more should you operate this way? And then he says that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. This idea of being made perfect here is that you have full access to a holy, righteous God. That by the blood of the new covenant, we can enter into the most holy places, right? We've heard this in Hebrews over and over. To be made perfect, to now have full, direct access to God. See, when we place our faith in Jesus, we are declared right before God. Fancy word of justification. Then as our life continues after that point, we grow in Christ's likeness. That's sanctification. But what he's talking about here is being made perfect when all generations who have had this kind of faith, they link arms together, they hold hands, and they stand before a holy, righteous God, and there's glorification that happens. They are actually made right before God. This is what all those people are going to experience. And the author is trying to tell the people in Hebrews, hey, they're going to experience that. You know Jesus. You can experience it too. So stop shrinking back. Endure by faith. Endure by faith. Jesus was better. Jesus still is better. We've seen this all throughout Hebrews, right? He's better than the angels in chapter 1. In chapter 7, he's a better hope. He provides a better covenant. In chapter 8, he gives better promises. Chapter 9 is better than the sacrificial system. Chapter 10, he's better, a better inheritance. Jesus is better, guys. So much better than anything this world has to offer. So live by faith in him. You may not experience the wonderful life that some of these people live. You may experience the suffering of some of these people. But do it by faith and knowing that something better is to come. Something better is to come. Now, when we see Hebrews 11, some people might often call this the hall of faith or the faith hall of fame because you see all these great people following Jesus. 
It gets tricky. There's nothing wrong with saying that. But what's hard is these are normal people. Totally normal people. They weren't otherworldly. They weren't like extraordinary people. They were everyday people like us that had faith in an extraordinary God. And God did amazing things through them because of their faith. Guys, these are the kind of role models that we need to have as believers. That in our lives, we look for role models that are so many other things. Again, the popular, the influential, the ones that have the most money, the one, whatever it may be. Yet these people are commended by God because of their faith. What I want to do to finish up this morning is I want to talk about people more recently that live by faith. People that aren't like way back to Abel and Enoch and Abraham, but people who live this way today that so many of us could look up to. Jordan mentioned last week Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. Jim Elliot, born in the 1920s and in 19, the 1950s, he decides... He has this passion to go take Jesus to an unreached people group where they had not heard about Jesus, so he recruits four of his friends. And as he recruits four of his friends, they go to uh, beside a river in Ecuador to a tribe that's never heard about Jesus. And they go there, and Jim Elliot and four of his friends get speared to death. That's a life of faith. A life that says there's something better to come. I'm willing to risk my life for the sake of the gospel. So Elizabeth, his wife, has crazy faith as well, right? She goes, you know what? These people still need Jesus. They murdered my husband, but you know what? There's something better. I'm going to go back to those people. I'm going to go to those people, and I'm going to tell them about Jesus. They killed my husband and all his friends, yet I'm going to have faith to go back. She goes back. Many of them profess Christ. That's amazing. So you go, that's so long ago. Elizabeth Elliot died in 2015, guys. We're not talking Abraham and Noah. We're talking somebody like us from Wheaton, Illinois, that says, Jesus is most valuable to me, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Or maybe it's the faith of Martin and Gracia Burnham. They decided they were, he was a pilot, so he was going to fly to um, unreached people groups again. He's going to fly to them, and he's going to provide them lots of resources that they need that they didn't have access to. And as he did that, he was also going to share the gospel. Well, they had flown to a different kind of remote island one night. It was actually their anniversary. And in the middle of the night, people break in with guns and take them from this place where they were staying. And it was an Islamic terrorist organization, and they were on the run from the uh, Philippine government and army. And so for a year, Martin and Gracia are in the jungles, not much to eat, being treated terribly, And in 2002, in the midst of the 17th gun battle that they faced in the jungle between the army and this terrorist group organization, Martin was shot and killed. Gracia was shot in the leg, but she made it out. Gracia is still alive to this day, 
lives in Kansas and goes travels all around the world telling people about her and her husband's faith. Because that's the kind of role models we want to see, we want to look up to. People who are willing to risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. It's a friend of mine named Noon. I don't, I don't know Noon well. I, I met him once, but he went to seminary with my brother-in-law. I met Noon several years ago, and Noon's from a country in Asia who now the government has recently been overthrown, and Noon came to America to go to seminary, and he went to seminary to be trained not to stay in America and pastor a church, but to go back to his country that didn't have a lot. So Noon goes back, and um, this was a text I received back in October. Um, it says, please continue to pray for Noon and his family and the students living with him. The military has been ransacking their house over the past week. They've come three times in seven days, each time at night and with guns drawn on the children. They have recently told Noon to be careful what he speaks. We're not exactly sure what that means. Noon still wants to leave the country but wants to leave with every child. God alone knows what is best for Noon and can do whatever is necessary to give them to safety. Please pray God would continue to protect them and be merciful to them when the military harasses them. The children are deeply scared, so I often pray for restful sleep for them, even in the midst of violence and tribulation. Because this is somebody I just met a few years ago, living this kind of lifestyle. This text message just came in October. That's a life of faith, guys. Yet here we go, like, oh, I want to, I wish I had the money of this football player. I wish I had this, or I wish I had this influence of this social media person. Like, what are we doing? And these people are willing to give up their lives for the sake of the gospel. But I don't want you to just think of, like, oh, those are those people somewhere else. Let me tell you about people at Veritas. Let me tell you about many people who show up to get baptized on Baptism Sunday. And they have no biological family that shows up with them. And they still say, you know what? I love Jesus. And he is the most important thing to me. And I'm going to lock arms with this line of faith that's gone from Moses and Sarah and Abraham. And that's what my faith, that's how valuable my faith is. That I'm going to follow Jesus even when my family doesn't want to do it. And doesn't support me in it. It's the couple in our church that had a really nice house and they sold it because they wanted a lower mortgage payment so they could give more of their money away. It's the 12-year-old in our congregation that two weeks ago was sitting at a lunch table with a bunch of friends and they started talking about some worldly issues. And this 12-year-old went totally against the grain and stood up for her faith. She stood up for the truth. And she got ridiculed so bad that she had to leave for the day. That's a 12-year-old in our congregation living by faith. Guys, you want your life to count. You want your life to matter. The only life that matters is a life of faith. That's the only one that's going to matter. A life of faith is the only life that matters. You live a life of success without faith, it's not going to count for anything. You live a life of significance here on earth without faith, it's not going to matter. These people were commended because of their faith. You live a life of philanthropy and activism, doing wonderful things without faith, it's not going to count for anything. 
But we can't read this and go, well, it's just this abstract faith where we just believe in our head. No, these people live differently because of their faith. Because of faith that should impact the way you live and the way you serve and the way you parent. It should affect the way you give, the way you do certain things and don't do other things. A life of faith values certain things and doesn't value other things. Guys, we want to live like the Samsons and the Davids and the Samuels and the Jim and Elizabeth Elliots and the Gracia and Martin Burnhams and the Noons and the 12-year-old in our own congregation who says Jesus is better. That's the kind of church we want to be, guys. That is absolutely the kind of church we want to be. And there may be great success because of faith. And there may be great suffering, but this family will surround you in the midst of that suffering. That's the kind of church we want to be. You see, when you have faith, it is a gift to the world. And from earlier in chapter 11, we know that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So with faith, you can please God and be a gift to the world. What else do you want? What else do you want in life? Faith rejoices in success and hopes in suffering. So what do we do with a sermon like this? Because it's kind of heavy, right? How do we live differently? One, I would encourage you to confess ways that are like inconsequential that you think, you're trying to make your life matter in inconsequential ways. You're trying to make your life matter in ways that aren't by faith. Confess those to the Lord this morning. Then remember the promises of God like these people. There was something better to come. Remind yourself of the promises of God. And then live differently because of it. I would encourage you to even read about martyrs in the faith, people who gave up their lives because of their faith. Pray for the persecuted church. Because there are people literally around the world right now that are being tortured and mistreated and threatened with death because of their faith. The least we can do from America, the least we can do, is say, we're with you in prayer and we're going to the Lord on your behalf. Imagine what kind of church we could be and the impact that we can make in the world if we live by this, with this kind of faith. Wouldn't that be amazing? How many more of your neighbors would go, why do you live that way? And you get to talk about Jesus. When you live in this kind of way, your coworkers and your peers go, what's wrong with you? And you go, it's Jesus. I trust Jesus and that something far better is to come. Let me tell you about him. Because that's the kind of church we want to be. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we want to be people of faith. We don't want to live by what we can see right in front of us, but we want to believe in what we can't see. We want to hope in the realities that are to come, not what we experience here on this earth. God, thank you for men and women of faith who have walked before us, that are walking alongside of us now. God, I pray for every person in this room this morning that they would consider life differently because of their faith. Not just consider it, but they would live life differently because of their faith. And God, we pray for all these people that are considering 
maybe even some radical decisions or maybe just some normal decisions that look different in the world, I pray that you would give them boldness this week to remind them of your promises and give them the boldness to be obedient to what you're asking them to do. I pray all this in Christ's name, amen.